This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم فبدأ بأوعيتهم قبل وعاء أخيه ثم استخرجها من وعاء أخيه كذلك كدنا ليوسف ما كان ليأخذه ليأخذ أخاه في دين الملك إلا أن يشاء الله نرفع درجات من نشاء وفوق كل ذي علم عليم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي فالحمد لله والصلاه والسلام على رسول الله وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين اما بعد once again everyone السلام عليكم ورحمه الله تعالى وبركاته today i try to share with you some things from ayah number 76 of surah yusuf this is where Yusuf is going to complete the scheme that he had in mind, which was of pulling out uh, the cup from his brother's bag. So, He started with their bags, going through their bags, investigating them before checking the bag of his brother, obviously to make that scene play out as more innocent. Also, it could be that in the line, the brother is at the very end of the line, so you get to his bags last, right? So that makes logical sense. Then he brought it out. Now, before we read the rest of this, there's some really interesting, uh, what might seem as a side conversation, but becomes fairly significant ways of looking at this cup. I've talked to you about a little bit about it. And what I've shared for the most part is the conventional view on this cup, that uh, it was called a siqaya, which means something to drink in, siqayaski, right, or istisqa, um, is to drink or to give drink. So siqaya is a cup which helps you drink. So it's just any cup. But then later on, it comes out that it's the suwa al-malik. It's the goblet of the king, or it's the measuring cup that's symbolic and things like that. It's a big deal. Now, we've talked about that already. What is interesting here is there are a couple of views on how the cup can be perceived. So, Dr. Akram Nadwi, I was talking to him today, and I, you know, Sheikh Sahib Saida told me that he's come to hear that Dr. Akram has a unique view on these cups. So I was curious, I gave him a call, and among other things, I talked to him about the cups. And he shared his view with me, and we've gone back and forth, myself and Suhaib, and then myself and Dr. Akram. And I think it's important to kind of mention at least the presence of that view, uh, because it is based, it's rooted in evidence and language, and there is the alternative view, and both of them have their benefits. And so we're going to talk about both of these views and their benefits now, okay? So the first thing that is important to note here is the Quran is very specific in its language. So... In the course of this conversation, once it's called just a cup, siqaya, something to drink in, and the other time it's called a measuring cup, and that one attributed to the king, so it's made into a bigger deal, right? So why are two different words being used for the same thing? What's also curious is the first time it was called siqaya, it's when Yusuf put it in the bag, right? And it's also referred to as a siqaya, meaning just a cup, when he took it out of the bag. ha. The ha is a feminine pronoun referring back to siqaya. But the word suwa, which is a masculine word, all the other pronouns, for example, so they say nafqidu suwa al-malik. They said we are missing the, the king's gobbler, the, the measuring cup. Okay, فَمَنْجَاءَ bihi bihi not biha bihi the masculine pronoun referring to the larger, the king's cup, the king's you know measuring cup. Then فَمَا جَزَاءُهُ Jazauhu, what is the compensation of it? Meaning, if it is found in your bags, what should be the payback? Then they say, jazauhu, man wujida fi rahlihi, wujida also with it is found, not wujidat fi rahlihi, but wujida fi rahlihi, meaning the masculine pronoun. Now, the masculine, see, in English, we just have the word it, but in Arabic, you have a feminine it and you have the masculine it. So in the ayahs, when, you, when you're reading an English translation, it just says it, 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 it the whole time. And you're thinking it's talking about the cup. But the thing is, the masculine it is referring to the word used for the king's goblet, the king's measuring cup. And the feminine it is referring to the cup when Yusuf put it in there. Right? So now what's interesting is, the masculine it got used throughout. You know, so... You were expecting 
So he put pulled it out, and the it should be masculine again because all the pronouns were masculine. But now it's thumma He brought it out, and the feminine pronoun is used, and the feminine goes back to the word siqaya. So what that means in simple English is we started the story by saying Yusuf put the drinking cup in his brother's bag. Then they talked about the king's goblet, and we assume they're one and the same, right? And then we come back and refer. He brought the drinking cup out of his bag. So two different words are being used, and the the word being used for it when the when it was put in the bag and when it was taken out of the bag is the word that is you know used with Yusuf taking some kind of action, and the other words are being used when the authorities are looking for this goblet. So the question becomes, why are these two different words being used? And why are they spread apart like that? At the opening and closing of this cup scene is a different word. And in the middle, it's a different word. It's like that, right? So there are two plausible explanations. One explanation is that Yusuf salam, and let me give you by analogy first. I know this is going to sound like a weird example, but it's, it's one that I thought would make it easy for you guys to, to uh, understand. I don't think of myself as like a big deal or a celebrity or a famous person. I just think of myself as someone waiting in line to just get through security at the airport or something. So one time I'm, I'm at the airport and this guy sees me. He goes, ah, and I don't know why people just, you have to say the whole name. So there's Nuali Khan. I was like, yeah. And I was writing something in my notes at the time. I was just standing there writing something in my notes. He's like, I've seen all of your videos. All of them. Can I have a picture? I was like, yeah, sure. So we just kind of take a picture. He says, salam. So he goes, can I, have, I have a really big question for you. I was like, what is it? Can I have your pen? And I was like, I'm, let me see if I have an extra one. And I checked my bag. I have an extra one. I was like, yeah, you can have my pen. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to cherish this. <laughs> can you write something on it? You know? So I was like, uh, for, it's just a pen, dude. It's, it's nothing else. It's just a pen. But for him, it was a momentum, a memento, because apparently to him, I'm a big deal or something like that. The point that I'm trying to make is this. For me, from my point of view, it's not a big deal. It's just a pen. But from his point of view, it's like, you know whose pen this is? And somebody probably switched it out with a different pen and they're still like, you know whose pen this is? <laughs> kind of thing. Right? Because it's a big deal to him, but it doesn't really have that much value to me. Yusuf salam is the you know prime minister of the land. For all practical purposes, he's running the country, right? So when he's sitting there sipping coffee in a cup, it's just his cup. But for anybody else who walks by, you know whose cup that is? You see what I'm saying? So to them, it's a big deal. For him, it's just a cup. So if it is referring to the same object, whenever Allah talks about it from his point of view, he just says, just a cup. But when... He's playing out the scene and one way of looking at it is when he put the cup in the bag and what's not been stated and most conventionally Mufassirun look at it this way. And he said, hey, where's my cup? Basically, that's not been said, but it's implied, right? So where did my cup go? And the security guard goes, the king's cup is missing. The royal cup. Right? And Malik can be the word for king, but can also be the word for any authority. So we know there's a king above that too. But it doesn't have to be the king, king referred to with the word malik. And the word aziz can also be, it doesn't just mean minister, it can mean your highness. It can mean sir. So these words can be sort of general and they don't have to refer to one particular person. So, Or it could be that this is the cup from the palace that he uses and it's the king's, I mean he's sitting in the king's chair, literally. Because in the biblical version, by the way, he sat him in his throne. Or he sat where he used to sit, so he can, he can relax. So the Ornaments that are there are the king's ornaments, right? Now for him, it's just a cup, but everybody around him is like, the king's cup is missing. That's a big deal. So they make a big fuss about it. And even if it is the symbolic cup that he doesn't drink from, but it sits there on the table as a decoration piece or something like that, and he just says, hey, where's that cup? Where did it go? They're making it a much bigger deal. And by the way, the, the people that are in security, if this happened on their watch, then they're in major trouble, right? So one reading of it, they said, maybe one of the people in security said, well, Anabi Zaim, I'm its guarantor. Whoever brings the cup back will get a full load of a camel and I'm its guarantor. And yesterday I, I told you that the way to interpret that attributed to Yusuf is, Yusuf comes out and says, you better come back with this cup and whoever does is going to get a camel's load of food along with the camel. And I'm guaranteeing that. I, I talked to you about that interpretation. But another more conventional view actually, more popular view, which is, actually pretty plausible also, is the security guard or the head of security who's in pretty serious trouble, or so he thinks, because on his watch, something from the Oval Office got stolen. 
right? So that's that's not a small crime. That's a pretty big crime. So he's now personally saying, whoever comes forward with it, I'll give you a camel. I'll give you a load. And I'm guaranteeing it personally because his, his neck is on the line. You understand? So he's coming out and saying and, and giving these guarantees. So that's one way of looking at this cup business. And then again, when Yusuf pulled the cup out, it's just a cup again. Right. And this is maybe a subtle way of the Quran telling us how things have things with, with value uh, are perceived differently by different people. Right. And it's not, you know, some things may be to us a very big deal because they are connected to somebody that we have high regard for. They, of course, have high regard for Yusuf السلام, because he's the king or he's right secondhand to the king. But to Yusuf السلام, it's just another cup. Uh, but from a religious point of view also, this is an important side consideration. In, in, in different religions in the world, including in the Muslim world, sometimes objects become holy because somebody touched them, because somebody was around them, right? And they become sanctified, you know? So, you, you know, the, the, the sword of a sahabi, radiallahu anhu, for example, Right? Or the cup in which somebody drank, or so the Prophet mat, or something like that. Those are all remarkable things, but they are not in and of themselves holy. They're just objects. They're nothing more than objects. You see, and the dirt on which he walked is just dirt. It's not. It didn't become more holy because the Prophet walked on it. Our love for him makes us think about his legacy when we are in the city of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Like the last time I was in, uh, you know, in the in the two cities uh, for Umrah and just spending some time in Medina. Obviously, we don't we're, we can't possibly walk on the dirt that he walked on. It's all covered in concrete and then foundations and then carpet on top of that. And we're not going to experience what he experienced. We're not walking through as much as the Nabawi with the sun beaming on us with those giant umbrellas and those fans running and all that stuff, right? So we're not we're in the same we're breathing the same air, but we're not exactly in the same environment anymore, obviously. But you know what I, for personally, what I do is when I'm in Medina, I recite a lot of Madani Quran. And what I try to think about is Jibreel alayhi salam came down here somewhere and gave these words to Rasulullah sallallahu Like somewhere in this proximity was the first time these heavenly words came, right? And when I'm in Mecca, you know, then I'm reciting ayat that are Makki more and just thinking about the fact that somewhere here, this place was blessed because the Allah's words were revealed. But Beyond that, what happens sometimes in religions, and again with Muslims, is objects become sacred. Or objects you know, get value more than they should have. Now this is of course a governmental matter. If things start getting stolen from the, from the presidential office, then that doesn't speak well for how crime can be controlled in the country. So it's a pretty bad statement. But beyond that, what we do, and not in, in, in the religious world and beyond the religious world, some items become of great value because a celebrity touched them. And they're being auctioned off for millions of dollars, right? And things like that. And it's interesting that Allah shows the people's perspective of how big a deal it is. And then Yusuf's perspective, Suwa al-Malik is just a siqaya. It's just a cup. It's just, a, I'm going to put the cup and I'll take the cup back out. <laughs> it's just all it is, right? So it's, a, it's an interesting you know, contrast of points of view. So that's one way of looking at the two contrasting terms for the cup. Another way that Dr. Akram, you know, puts forward, and I'll add some of my own thoughts to what he's saying, because when you, when you, you know, when you present a thought, it has ripple effects, right? So what I'm presenting to you is not purely Dr. Akram's ideas, but based on Dr. Akram's ideas. So his idea is because there are two different pronouns being used, and one is just a cup and the other is the goblet, that there are two different objects. And the, the, the theory behind it is Yusuf salam only intended to put a cup, the, his personal cup, the cup, inside his brother's bag. And as they were leaving, instead of making a scene in front of everybody, he would have come up to them and say, hey, I'm missing my cup. I don't want to make a scene in front of everyone, but um, you, you were the only ones that were in my, you were the only one that was in my room or something like that. Or you're the only people I had close interaction with in that way. I need to go through your bags. And so he goes through it without, you know, a public debacle and all of that. He was just going to take the cup out and go. But in the, at the same time, the king's actual official measuring cup, that's a symbolic thing, that's such a big deal, went missing. So Yusuf put his own cup there and the king's goblet is missing. So before, and so he's just put the cup and they're starting their journey. And as they're starting their journey, the announcement is made, you're all thieves. And Yusuf himself is in shock. That's not what, what just happened. 
how do they know they're, they're thieves? So that's his reading that actually two things happened at the same time. He put the cup there and the official cup went missing. And when the official goblet, the measuring cup went missing, they're looking for that. al-Malik. But then Yusuf says, let me look through it. And then finally when he pulls out, he pulls out, oh, what do we have here? We didn't find the king's goblet, but my cup is here. What's it doing here? You understand? Now, this seems like a minor difference, but it does have some interesting implications behind it. If you do look at it this way. If you look at it this way, then Yusuf did not intend to publicly shame his brothers in that setting. He was only going to do this kind of privately and get that cup and get an excuse to keep his brother. Right? That, that's what was going to happen. But Allah decided that he's going to create a chain of events in which these brothers will you know, get a taste of public humiliation more than what Yusuf even intended. So they, you know, it's kind of like divine justice. So it's not Yusuf putting them in that position. Now it's Allah Azza wa putting them in, in a far worse position when the entire ear, the entire caravan is being told, you're all thieves and the cops are all surrounding them and the cops saying, I'm going to give a, a reward and they're coming out and talking. And all of this stuff was not necessarily intended by Yusuf The other thing is what we're going to get into now is the words that are coming now. You know, so far what I've read read to you about ayah number 76 is he started with their bags before going to the bag of his own brother. And then he brought it out from the bag of his brother. You know, what's going to happen next doesn't have to be spelled out. What's going to happen next is the one whose bag it was recovered from has been detained. So that's not going to be stated openly like that. It's coming later on. Now Allah says this, it's, it's all, what I'm reading to you is all one ayah today. So there's going to be multiple statements. One statement will be, كَذَلِكَ كِدْنَا Yusuf. Then will be, مَا كَانَ لِيَأْخُذَ أَخَاهُ فِي دِينِ الْمَلِكِ إِلَّا أَنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهِ Then there's going to be, نَرْفَعُ دَرَجَاتٍ مَنْ And finally there's going to be, وَفَوْقَ كُلِّ ذِي عِلْمٍ عَلِيمٍ There are four statements in this ayah after this part. After the part of pulling it out of the bag. Statement number one of these four statements is, that is how we schemed for Yusuf. That is how we hashed a plan for Yusuf. Allah says himself. So Allah stopped the story and interjected himself and said, and that is how we made a plan for Yusuf. You know, this. that is how is a literary device in the in the surah and in the telling of this story. And Allah will say, for example, when he settled in Egypt, kadhalika. You know, لِنُعَلِّمَهُ مِن تَأْوِيلِ الْأَحَدِيثِ this is how we settled him in the land. So he's telling a story and he intervenes. And that's how we did it for Yusuf. That's how we got him put into Egypt. That's how we brought him back into power. In all of those, that the statement that is how we occurs, right? And now we find the same, that is how we. And so Allah is taking credit for this plan. When he says that is how we. Now, the two readings. In the first reading, Yusuf salam is putting this entire scheme together, having the cops call them out and all of it, right? But there are some things that are not in his control. He's hoping he can, you know, get them get Benjamin arrested, but the conversation that happened was not under his control. How so? He doesn't know that the cops are gonna come out and say, Oh yeah, you haven't stolen. What should be the compensation? What should be the payback if you did, if you are lying? And they came out and said, well, if we are lying, then the one whose bag it's in, they're the compensation. Remember that dialogue? Yusuf salam cannot plan out that that's going to be the dialogue. He cannot plan out that the cops are going to ask that question. He cannot plan out that they're going to answer that question in that way. And that's how, and that's how it's going to play out. So some of us say, well, that's the part that Allah made work for him. Like he could only do so much, and there are other things that happen by divine intervention, meaning the cops asked a certain question, they answered a certain question, and they don't even know they're fitting right into Allah's plan for Yusuf to keep his brother. Right? So that's in that sense, Allah is taking care of matters in this plan that are out of Yusuf's control. Right? So that's one reading of Kadalika Kidnali Yusuf. The second reading is, well, Yusuf just put a cup, but Allah made it so that the larger cup was missing and the whole cup scenario happened in the second reading. And in that sense also, Allah added to the plan something Yusuf had not taken into consideration. Okay. Either way though, we get to the same point. We get to the point where Allah has basically facilitated this scheme for Yusuf and this is interpreted in one of two ways. 
One way this is interpreted is Yusuf was given revelation by Allah to do this. To take the cup, put it in the bag, to do this entire scheme. Yeah. So this was something revealed to Yusuf Now if it is read this way, that it was given to Yusuf he was following Allah's instructions. I am reminded of the story of Surah Al-Kahf, where there is a character that Musa meets who is not mentioned by name. Right, we call him Khidr or Khadir. And he does several things that we find immoral. He damages a ship, he kills a child, he helps, and something doesn't make sense. He builds a wall where, you know, a wall, there was no compensation, and they're they're dehydrating and starving, and they're not even giving them water. Right? So when he does those things, at the end of it, he says, I didn't do this because this was my decision. I did this because who told me to do it? Allah told me to do it. So he's actually attributing those acts to Allah, which is an interesting study by itself. When, we, when I finish the surah, I'm going back to Surah Al-Kahf to finish it. But the point is, at the end of it all, what did he explain? This wasn't me. I didn't kill someone or I didn't damage a ship because I wanted to or because I that was my doing. But actually this was, وَمَا فَعَلْتُهُ so it's more complex than that, but more or less, he does explain that this wasn't just entirely me. The one who knows the future and what is going to happen is the one who instructed me to do this. Okay. Here, you don't find Yusuf being told, or we, us being told, and Allah commanded him to do so. You don't find those words. What you find is Allah made a scheme for Yusuf. Now you could read Allah made a scheme for Yusuf or Allah... You know, you could say endorse the scheme for Yusuf Two ways One, Allah actually made that scheme and told him this is the scheme Yeah, that's one way And if it is that way Then there is no questions we can ask Allah told him to do it So you do, you do what Allah tells you to do Right? If you were told if, if they were given revelation Kill yourselves If Allah told somebody, kill yourself And if Allah told somebody, leave your home Never come back home again then most people wouldn't have done it. And, and then Allah says, And had they done what Allah is telling them to do, it would have been better for them. The point of that ayah in Surah An-Nisa is, if Allah tells you to do something that doesn't seem right, or doesn't seem logical to you, if Allah is telling you, understand that your logic is less, Allah's wisdom is more, you should still do it. What Allah tells you. That's the point of that ayah. So if that's the logic that Allah has taught us, and by that logic, if Allah has revealed to Yusuf to do these things, there's no questions asked, that's it. But another reading of the same ayah is Allah Azza wa Jal allowed Yusuf to engage in this plan. And part of this plan was out of Yusuf's control, like what the cops are going to say and what's going to happen and all of that stuff, and what the brother's response are going to be, whether they're going to cite the Canaanite law that the person whose bag it's found in will be enslaved. They brought that stuff up, and Yusuf can't control that they're going to bring that up, salam. That all of that was done by Yusuf, salam, and Allah further not only endorsed his plan, furthered his plan himself. So both wills, the will of Yusuf independently, salam, he decided to do this, and Allah endorsing his view, his will, and then adding his will to it. Right? So that's the second reading. And I'm more convinced, as you might guess, of this second reading. And in the second reading, when you see that Yusuf alayhi, Allah says, you know, we made this scheme work for Yusuf. Basically, my reading of it would be kidnal Yusufa. We made this plan work out for the, in the favor of Yusuf. Okay, so the plan was there, but it couldn't have worked out unless Allah Azza wa made it work out. Yeah. Then he says, listen to this. Ma kana akhahu fi malik illa insha'Allah. It wasn't possible for him to hold on to his brother in the, in, the, in the religion. I wouldn't translate this religion here. In the constitution of the king. Except by Allah's will. Okay, so Allah is now explaining why he did this. Why did he do this whole cup debacle? Why, why did this entire drama have to be played out? He says because there was no legal way under the law of the king that you can have a foreigner stay in the royal palace. You know, in official government buildings, you have to have security clearance to stay, right? And to stay in a country, you have to have certain kinds of immigration status. 
And then on top of that, if somebody is going to stay in the highest place, highest building in the land, then they better have gone through every layer and every background check, security check, bureaucracy. All of that has to be cleared before they can go there, right? So you can't just keep him there just because you said. So the, even though he has a lot of authority, there is the, the law of the king himself. And part of his law is you can't just have foreigners stay here. There has to be some justification. And the only justification was he's being detained for further questioning. Or why did he do it? Or he's been enslaved. Now he's my personal slave. Right? Because the punishment is he should be enslaved. Well, you know what? Since that is the law, I'm making him my personal servant. And now he has a justification to keep him. Right? Now, Allah is explaining this rationale. Did we know that the king has such a law? We had no knowledge. All we knew is Yusuf salam hashed a scheme that I tried to challenge the morality of yesterday. You remember? I said Yusuf salam is in, you know has put a scheme together in which there is deception, in which there is humiliation, right? In which there is false accusation, can you know a tampering with evidence, that's what they call it nowadays, right? Falsified arrest, right? Unjustified imprisonment. All of this stuff is happening in this story. And Allah says First, let's, let me clear the air. I endorse this view. I endorse this plan. And I'm the one who made it work anyway. Allah put his stamp of approval on this seemingly morally objectionable part of the plan. Why? And this is really the why that, I, you know, the title of my talk today is, you know, doing the right thing. How to do the, how is this the right thing? When you have a situation in which there is actually no let me not talk about Yusuf let me talk about you and me and our life and how this works in our lives imagine somebody has a sick mother she when she stresses out her blood pressure goes up and she is more prone towards heart issues or she's more prone towards a panic attack and that panic attacks and these kinds of stress things you know cardiologists will tell you my you know my family we've had heart surgeries in our family and the, one of the first things the cardi cardiologist will tell you is don't put yourself in stressful situations, right? So the mom tends to stress easily and she's had a heart surgery and all of that stuff and she's, you know, easily panicked. And the son, who's the only provider for the family, loses his job, right? And he comes home. He's wondering, where am I going to get the food for groceries for for next week? How am I going to pay the electricity bill? What's going to happen? Mom opens the door. Son, is everything Okay. Now he has to make a choice. He says, Mom, actually, I lost my job. And we have, well, I think, $35 left in the bank. So I don't know if we're going to get evicted or what's going to happen. Or, and if he says that to her, he knows what's going to happen to her. She's going to stress out. She's going to have a panic attack. She might even have a heart attack. Right? Because that's that sort of thing has happened before. She might pass out. So he says, everything's fine, Mom. Yeah, it's all good. Everything's okay. Does he lie? Yeah. Did he do the right thing? Absolutely. He absolutely did the right thing by lying. Because when you have to consider what harm he's preventing, then in those situations, there is a room. And, in there, and this kind of room exists in lighter circumstances. So for example, your wife cooked for you, and you think it's, it tastes about the same as cardboard. And not that you ever did that, Valerie. I'm not saying that. I'll give an example, okay? Just an example. Chill out, okay? So now it tastes like, and she goes, how does it taste? Now you have to think about the harm that might cause her feelings, but also the physical harm that might come your way if you share your actual opinion. So in order to save lives, your own and other people's feelings, you say, it's delicious. Oh my God, this is reminding me of Jannah. And in your head you're saying, probably sending me to Jannah sooner than I thought. But you're, you know, you're not saying that out loud. But you say something to protect somebody's feelings. You're not causing anybody harm, right? But, and I'm not endorsing those kinds of, you know, those are white lies. They call them white lies. But the problem is, I have a challenge today before you. Because when I talk about this subject, on the one hand, I have to be true to the text. There is deception that took place. And we have to acknowledge that and see what we can learn from it. But the danger is, when somebody hears this, they're like, the Quran's okay with me lying. So I'm going to lie in like virtually any self-serving circumstance and then say, well, Yusuf Islam, have you seen this YouTube video? Bro, it's in the Quran. That's why I lied. You know? So we need to strike a very clear balance, right? 
Now, what is that clear balance from what I can extrapolate from these ayat? Let me give you a, a, a darker scenario. A darker scenario is perhaps in a family, there's a father who's physically, emotionally abusive. He beats the kids or he beats up on his son or beats up on his daughter, right? And he comes home and he's drunk or he's angry and he asks the wife, where is she? He's asking about his daughter. Where is she? And she's hiding in the closet. And the mom goes, she slept over at her friend uh, uh, at the aunt's house. She's not here today. She lies. Does she lie? Yeah. Did she do the right thing to save her child from abuse? Absolutely. She absolutely did the right thing. When you are dealing with someone abusive, manipulative, controlling, cruel, when you're dealing with people like that, and you have to engage in lying in order to protect someone or protect yourself, in order to protect yourself from actual harm, then in those circumstances, there is wiggle room, isn't there? There's room for you to do to engage in that kind of scheming. Yusuf salam is trying to bring this family together, but he has he has a big, you know, the, the, the figure of speech is the troll on the bridge. But there are 10 trolls on the bridge. There are these 10 young men that are now older men that are very arrogant about their control over the family and how they run things and how nobody can question what they do. They're going to get things their way. They're going to get their way done no matter what. And he is trying to protect his, for starters, his youngest brother, from that line of abuse because he's tasted it himself. The memory of what they did to him is fresh. He knows what they did. And every bad thing that happened in his life as a result of that, he knows is attributed to them. And he knows now, he's smart enough to know that Bin Yamin is the next target of that abuse. So he's putting the scheme together to save his brother from that abuse. And in that scenario, this is the ultimately moral thing to do. And it is a scheme against, a, it is a lie against a bunch of liars. Did he not experience his brothers lie through their teeth when Yaqub said, I'm scared a wolf might eat him. And they said, what a wolf? While we're here? You know, in which ironically, it's pretty ironic I shared with you back then. Oh, a wolf would eat him? Why do you need a wolf to eat him? We're here. We could do that. We could do a wolf job much better. <laughs> but that's not what they meant, right? They meant, oh, why would a wolf eat him when we're, we're you know, we're, we'll take care of business. And يلعب. And Yusuf must have heard this conversation with his, they're having with his dad. He's going to play. He's going to eat to his fill. He's going to have such a good time. And this kid, some part of him says, maybe they're right. I will have a good time. And when they get away, they're beating on him, kicking him, throwing in a well, cursing at him, considering whether they should kill him or not. And even when they said, maybe they said it on the way too. Come on, let's just go back to the old plan. Just kill him and be done with it. You know? So they, 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 he knows that they present one face to dad and there's another face in reality. When people are manipulative and deceptive and dishonest like that, then you get to play their game because they're engaged in a war with you. And, and not, not to hurt them. He didn't do this to hurt them. He did this to save someone from hurt. And really, that's the, that's the measuring stick that I can find. Allahu A'lam. It is not that I'm going to hurt them because they hurt me. It's not vengeance. It's not your personal sense of justice. I need them to feel the pain that I felt. More important than that is, I need to prevent their infliction of harm to stop. I don't want them to have another victim. I don't want them to hurt this person. I'm going to save him no matter what I can, in, in whatever scheme I can come up with. I'm protecting someone in particular. And you can't even come up with, but now I'm protecting the world from you. <laughs> no, no, no. There's someone actually that's a victim. That's some, someone actually under harm, in harm's way. And in this case, Binyamin was in harm's way. And it's very clear that he was in harm's way because as soon as they're in private together and he says, I am in fact your brother, the first words that come out of Yusuf Alayhi's mouth is, Mouth are, you don't have to be miserable and sad and overwhelmed anymore because of the things they've been doing. In other words, they have been doing a bunch of bad stuff. And he has been feeling horrible about it. He has been in misery for all this time. So he did the right thing by saving his brother. And so he doesn't want that. And he's promised his brother, they're not going to get to do that to you anymore, right? He made that promise to him. I am your brother is also not just a statement, I am in fact your brother, but also means I'm your brother, I'll protect you. You don't have to worry about them anymore. And what they've used to do, that's in the past now. Isn't that what that means? So this entire plan is him keeping his promise to his brother, to protect his brother. 
And so, and, and nobody's actually harmed. And even if some harm has come their way about an accusation, the accusation actually didn't come true for them. Who did it come true for? Binyamin. And he's, he's bought in on the plan also. So from, from a moral point of view, we're learning something delicate. The Quran, you would think, you know, religious people, they want to commit to the truth and they stand against lies. Truth is good, lying is bad. But the Quran tells us that sometimes there are situations that are gray, that are complicated that do involve complicated people or abusive people or cruelty. And in some of those cases, you have to, you know, you have to be able to maneuver those people in the right way. You have to learn to navigate those kinds of complicated people and learn to play their game. If you stray straight forward and just keep, you know, keep acting like, you know, be, be, being committed to the truth and being moral is not the same as being gullible. And Yusuf is actually playing a pretty smart scheme here. And then the fact that Allah endorsed it is a very beautiful, powerful thing at how intricate the Qur'an looks at right and wrong in these kinds of situations, right? So you have to really ask yourself, is my situation, is the situation in which I'm considering doing something like this, does it tally with the circumstances of Yusuf? Am I being genuine with Allah's book or am I trying to take advantage of it? Am I genuinely trying to save somebody for harm, from harm? Or am I furthering my own ego or my need for vengeance or whatever else? Right? Because that's a question only you can answer for yourself. Because, you know, sometimes people want to do the wrong thing, but to feel better, they want to have religious justification for doing the wrong thing. I don't want you and me to fall under that category because we might get away from with that in this life. But when we're standing in front of Allah, He's going to ask us whether we took His book and made a joke out of it. And we put our own personal ego above the word of Allah. When he said, The word of Allah is in the highest place. Right? So on the one hand, there is room here. But on the other hand, don't think there's free reign. There's a very narrow path in which this, this is applicable. And we have to be careful about whether or not we're engaged in that. We're on that path and, and treading carefully. Now, Look at how, first Allah says, Allah endorsed this plan or Allah schemed this for him, Yusuf alayhi salam. Then he offers a rationale. He says, It wasn't possible for him to grab his brother or to hold on to his brother in the law of the king, in the constitution of the king. Here you learn the word deen comes from the, the phrase, The way you deal is how you are dealt with. You know the old expression, as you sow, so shall you reap? Right? It's the equivalent of that in Arabic The word deen Which we commonly translate as religion Actually has to do with dealings And Maliki Yawmid Deen Is the day on which every dealing Will be dealt with And deen also has the meaning Of judgment, meaning dealings are judged So judgment of the king And all the issues and all the matters Which is basically law and constitution So a constitution is a decent translation For the word deen here Okay, so in any case when he said, Allah explains that there's a law in the king's books that prevents him from keeping his brother, what is Allah actually doing? Well, this is an interesting contrast. Allah is explaining the rationale, the thought process of Yusuf. Why would he engage in this scheme to keep his brother? Because it was illegal for him to keep his brother otherwise. Would you and I have, this is not religious knowledge, this is knowledge about the law of the king that doesn't believe in Allah. It's this. Kafir society's law, right? And Allah is teaching us something about it. Why? Because Allah is teaching us, Yusuf had to make this difficult decision because he has constraints on him. Constraints that you and I are not aware of. And if you're not aware of them, it might be very easy for you to pass moral judgment. How could he lie? How could he scheme? How could you attribute that? And Allah explains, what you don't, you don't know the whole story. You don't know the situation he's in. He still has to operate under the government's law. The law of the king. And in that law, he can't keep his brother. In other words, Allah is telling us that sometimes you see a situation in which a person acted a certain way. But if you don't know all the things they had to take into consideration before they made that decision, you will come up with an overly simplified judgment of what they did. Okay, this is, a, this is complicated what I just said. So let me put it in the way of example. So you understand. Somebody pushed someone. All you saw is they pushed someone. And you say, it's wrong. You shouldn't be pushing someone like that. That's not okay. That's unacceptable. You don't know that the guy has been pushing him 10 other times and is saying all kinds of things and manipulating the situation. and all. You don't know any of that stuff. 
right? Or if you don't push me, I'm going to punch that little kid over there. Or putting him in a crazy situation. You don't know the background of the whole story. All you know, all you saw is a push, right? And you've already made a judgment that the one who pushed is wrong, isn't it? But you don't know the, all of the things that went into play. And sometimes those people are not able to explain their situation. And sometimes those people don't owe you a full explanation of their situation. They don't owe you all the personal details of their life that led to them making this one choice. They don't owe you that. Allah knows the circumstances they had to go through to make this choice. Right? But from our point of view, we see something and say, Astaghfirullah, how could they do that? Astaghfirullah, falsifying evidence? Astaghfirullah, getting somebody arrested falsely? Astaghfirullah, putting a cup and then saying, where's the cup? Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Kings nowadays. <laughs> you don't know the whole situation. Now Allah is informing you, there's more to it than, than you've been told. And what is He teaching us as a universal principle? Don't be so quick to pass judgment on why someone did something. You don't know why they did something. Yusuf salam did something you can consider illegal, but had higher moral reasons for it. He did something which you might consider immoral otherwise. If somebody else did it, it may be immoral. What we're learning now is a, a complex portion of Qur'an's morality, the Qur'an's version of morality. It could be the same act and it could be evil and it could be good. It's the same exact act. Two people have done the same exact act, but what is behind that act and what is intended by that act will determine whether that act is good or whether that act is evil. In fact, the flip is true. Not just a bad thing that may be good, but interestingly enough, you could be doing something good, but it's an act of evil. You could be doing something good, but it's actually not good at all. You know, and you're masking it, you're masking the evil deed, the evil intentions with good a good costume on top of it, right? And Allah has a see through that. In this case, what may look bad on the surface is actually something good behind from behind. And so he says, Except had Allah if Allah unless Allah wills. He can't keep it unless Allah wills. Now, unless Allah wills, obviously, if Allah wills, anything will happen. But here also another direct reading of it from within the ayah, from within the statement is Allah willed that these this plan should work out in the way that it will. And it was Allah's will that He do this. Right? So a, a second endorsement from Allah is in Allah and Yasha Allah. Then He says, Allah says, We raise the ranks. We raise in ranks whoever we want. We raise in degrees whoever we want. Now what is Allah saying here? You have Yusuf salam being raised in rank throughout the story. Little by little by little by little. And here you have something being done that someone might point at and say that reduces his rank. And remarkably Allah in that ayah says, no, we raise in ranks whoever we want. Also, it's a remarkable statement about the scenario. The story started where the brothers had a rank over Yusuf, they had power over him. And now he has power over them. They had power to take him away, he has power to keep his brother. He, they had power and he couldn't do anything about it. They, he now has power and they can't do anything about it. They were, the father was begging to keep Yusuf and they didn't listen. And now they're going to beg to take <coughs> Binyamin and they, he won't let him go. Things have been flipped. And Allah says, we give ups and downs to whoever we want. So there's, there's the rise in ranks of Yusuf Alayhi morality, his spirituality, his, his rank in the world, his rank within the family. All of that's being talked about in Nafa'u Darajatim Man Nasha. And generally Allah is saying, we raise the ranks. And Allah has told us how he raised his ranks because of his honesty, because of his sincerity. Because he's ayyuhas siddiq. Remember the truthful one? The truthful one? It's important that Allah described him as the truthful one and then this event occurs. Because this event does not take away from his truthfulness. And his, his rank continues to elevate. You know what's amazing? Yusuf salam belongs to the religion of Ibrahim salam. And Ibrahim salam, to make a point sometimes, he would, you know, he, remember the idol story? Right? And he, you know, asked the big one. 
He knows the answer, but go ask the big one, right? Now the thing is, in Surah Al, uh, I believe it's Nahl or An'am, I believe Surah Al An'am, the words Narfa'u darajatin mannasha, we raise in ranks whoever we want, is used for Ibrahim alayhi salam, and in this surah, it's being used for his great grandson. And remember, he said, "I follow the religion of my fathers, Ibrahim." And he took pride in that. And Allah endorses that and uses the same words he used for Ibrahim alayhi salam. He's using them for Yusuf alayhi salam. There's another reading of this ayah and the ayah of Al-An'am in which darajatin is actually, there's no, is ghayr munawwan, which makes it a mudaf. Now what that means is darfa'u darajati man nasha. That would mean we raise the ranks of whoever we want. And that's a subtlety in Arabic grammar that I want to explain to you. It's really beautiful. One translation is, we raise whoever we want in ranks. So who's being raised? A person. And the other is we raise the ranks of whoever we want. The ranks of whoever we want. So it sounds like the same thing, but there's a subtle difference. When you raise someone, then they themselves are being elevated. They themselves are actually being enhanced. When you raise their rank, the way they are perceived is being Elevated because their rank is being elevated. You understand? So Allah actually means the duality. Yusuf is being elevated spiritually, morally, and he's also being elevated in the sight of people. And both of them coincide in Narfa'u Darajatin Mannasha and Narfa'u Darajati Mannasha. In Narfa'u Darajatin Mannasha, the Darajatin is argued to be a Darfiya or a Maf'ul Mutlaq, ala litlaq. So, you know, Narfa'u Rufu'an. Kind of, and darajatin. Uh, for grammar students, this will be of interest to you. But if you say, there's only one maf'ul bihi, and that's darajati. And for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, that's why I'm going to teach Arabic. Because y'all need to know what I'm talking about, and you will, inshallah. Okay. So, and the most beautiful conclusion of this ayah, and what we're going to conclude with, is, and above everyone, anyone that possesses knowledge, is someone who knows is the one is someone who knows above everyone who possesses knowledge is someone who knows now let's look at the most immediate meaning of it the most immediate meaning of it is you don't know the whole story you don't know the constitution you don't know what yusuf has been through you don't know how he's trying to save his brother you don't know all of those factors and you're passing quick judgment right so understand just whatever whatever you know someone knows about the situation more than you do and clearly from the ayah what we're learning is if you think you're going to pass judgment on someone's personal situation, they know it more than you do. Before you pass judgment on Yusuf, Yusuf knows his circumstance more than you do. He knows his family circumstance more than you do. You understand? Now, that's one meaning. The other meaning is Yusuf has been given knowledge and he has more knowledge now. The brothers don't even know what's being done to them. They have no idea what's being done right now. And who knows this, the, the entire scheme? Yusuf and his brothers. So Allah is saying, everyone who has knowledge, someone who has, there's someone who has more. Now in a general sense, there are a few things that have been drawn from this. What's been drawn from this is, above anybody who possesses any knowledge is Allah. Ali Mun at the end, referring to Allah himself. Meaning, any one of us, that have, we have some knowledge, but above all of our knowledge is, Allah's knowledge. What's the? Uh, that's an obvious statement, but what's the benefit of saying that? The benefit of saying that is, before you judge a situation, you should first say, Allah knows better. I know a little, Allah knows the whole so- story. So ingrain this in your head, above anyone who knows something, Allah knows the full story. Allah knows, Allah knows, Allah knows. Allah is an alim. And then there's one degree less than that that ulama have talked about from this ayah, and that is, Above everyone who has knowledge, there's someone who has more knowledge than them. And then above them, there's someone who has more than them. And then some of them, there's someone who has more than them. And above all of them is Allah. Like a, like ranks, right? Because the ranks were talked about, we raise in ranks, right? So what Allah is saying is, you could have someone who has the, this incredible knowledge of religion. And there's someone who has more than them. And then there's someone who has more than them. And there's someone who has more than them. And... Allah will keep putting people above and above and above and above. And there is no number one. And even if you think you're number one, you should always remember who's above you. It's Allah Azza wa Jal. And He knows who knows more than you. He, he, you're not even aware of who knows more than you. He's not, you. You're not even aware of who's better than you. Who has more knowledge. 
And this is a, you know, a principle in our religion of understanding the limits of our knowledge. Also understanding that Allah designed knowledge to be something that is continually sought. So nobody ever says, I know everything. I got it. I'm already knowledgeable. I'm, and, and, and this is true, not just of religion. It's literally true of any field. Of any field. Just when you think you know everything about cars or mechanics. There's stuff you didn't know. This is when you think you got Arabic figured out. There's an ocean. You you realize you knew enough for a swimming pool, and there's an ocean left. Just when you think you knew something about this surah, you realize you know a drop from this surah, and there's se- you know several oceans left. Yes, you may know, and when you compare yourself to people around you, sometimes they know less than you, and it makes you feel like, yeah, I know a lot. And people are like, wow, you know a lot. I'm like, yeah. Because like I'm like really knowledgeable and stuff, so pretty good. Uh, surround yourself with people that you can benefit, but also surround yourself with people that benefit you. That you go to and you realize, You know, appreciate that Allah has created a hierarchy. That's a, it's something of, of of benefit for you and me to have that. You know, the the sentiment is. The problem happens when we have, especially in Islamic studies, and this is something I'm saying off the cuff, politically incorrect, I don't care. Um, And that is that in Islamic studies, especially, we are quick to give titles. Very quick to give titles. Like a lot of people call me Sheikh, right? I don't accept these titles. First of all, I'm definitely not a Sheikh. Most definitely. And even when there is somebody who went and graduated, went to an Islamic university somewhere, and they graduated and they got a degree, right? And they came back to their community. And let's just say in the United States or Canada or England or somewhere else, right? Now they have a degree in Islamic studies, right? And people in their community don't have that degree. So they're clearly the sheikh. The problem is when they were at school, they were the worst student in the class. They barely graduated. Or there were other top students that knew a lot more than them. And above them were, were teachers who knew a lot more than them. And those teachers have teachers who know a lot more than them. And a lot of their best teachers, the best teachers I've ever met in, in the field of Islamic studies are teachers that are continuously students. They don't spend most of their time teaching. They, mo- they spend most of their time what? Learning, reading, studying, engaging. That, that's what they spend their time doing. But what, when you create a culture where somebody gets a little bit of knowledge and now they can drop some Arabic words on you and you're like, Oh, mashallah, where did you study? Where did you get your, oh, mashallah, you're a sheikh. And when you do that, the problem is when you have a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old, a you know, 25-year-old getting this kind of a attention, it gets to their head. And now they do believe they're a sheikh. You know, and they want their title to say sheikh or doctor or this or that or the other. And that title becomes more important. And now that you have that title, you're already on top of the mountain, man. You got nowhere else to climb. You're good. Right and now the only time you will study the crazy thing is the only time you will study something is when you want to sh- spread uh, teach something to tell people how sheikh you are right so to, to sheikhify your audience you're not studying for yourself you're not studying for your love of learning you're studying for the love of you know imposing your sheikhhood right and that's a that's a sickness that's not fawqa kulli the ilmin alim and when that happens you know what the, the crazy thing is when someone gets a Afflicted with that virus And they're corrected Hey you said something That doesn't make sense Hey you said something That's wrong You trying to You trying to step on My sheikh territory And then they start Getting defensive As if it's a personal attack And they start going On the defensive And attacking somebody else Because They're trying to Take my rank down And what does Allah say وَفَوْقَ كُلِّ ilmin. When somebody corrects me or somebody says, hey, by the way, you cited this, this was incorrect. Or you said this, uh, the other day, slip of the tongue, I said, you know, Baniya is an ism tasgheer. It's not. It's an ism, you know, uh, it's Jama'a Mudakkar Salim. It's from Banina. And Bunaya is ism tasgheer. And that's Mufra. It's a total gaff on my part. And Suhaib called it out. He said, by the way, you said this. I was like, oh! And I thank him and I corrected. I said, hey, that was, that was wrong. There's not, no big deal. You're human. You're going to be wrong. That's okay. But when you don't acknowledge this, someone knows more than you. So above everyone who has knowledge, there's someone who has more. If we don't acknowledge that limit, then that becomes a real serious problem. The world is now in a very bad place because there are people who believe nobody knows better than they do. 
whether we find them in government, whether we find them in the classroom, whether we find them with a mic, it doesn't matter. When people's opinions put them in a position where nobody can correct their opinion, nobody can correct their position, they don't live by trouble happens. Allah Azza wa Jal is now showing us, this is the last thing I'll share with you about this ayah and we'll, we'll inshallah continue tomorrow. Probably tomorrow I'll only do 77 inshallah. Well, it's a very heavy ayah uh, tomorrow. Well, one thing I'll share with you about this is, why is Yusuf I'm going through all this trouble? Like, why the whole like, he recognizes them but doesn't say I'm your brother. You know, then he says, you better bring your brother back and all this. And he could just get it over with in one shot. You see, what I can tell, and I, I, I'm really happy that Dr. Akram today corroborated what I was thinking all along anyway. Yusuf salam's brothers have a high degree of arrogance about their strength in numbers. And the fact that they, get, they are taking care of everything. They're right in how they feel. They're right in how they conduct themselves. You'll see how imposing they are with their father from the beginning of the story until now. Yeah? And they clearly don't see anything wrong with what they did. They don't see that. They don't have a problem with what they did. It's not haunting their conscience. The only way they can wake up, so it's, it's basically as if they are hypnotized by their arrogance. And when you're hypnotized, you can't see reality for what it is. Something has to wake you up. And the only way to wake you up is you have to break that armor of arrogance. You have to break it. And what Yusuf salam is doing is, Little by little, he keeps putting these know-it-all, all-powerful brothers in a position where they're powerless. They're being humbled, little by little by little. Remember, we're all together, and then the father says, no, you need to be safe, go from different doors. Don't go as a usba. Right? So he's, now they, the strength in number is weakening. And now they're coming back begging for food. They were the ones that they were, used to have this pride. Why does he love Yusuf? We're the ones who take care of the family. We're the ones who provide everything. And now they're coming looking for provision, isn't it? And now they're going to, you know, the, uh, these humiliating situations are humbling them, making them realize they're not in charge of the situation. They can't control circumstances like they were able to control their father. Like they were able to exert physical control over a child. Like they were able to con- exert control over Binyamin. You're not always going to be in control. You're not going to always have that power. That arrogance needs to break. And this is a pretty heavy lesson because you have people, you know, uh, people that are maybe abusive, like, you know, um, an older brother who used to beat up on you or something like that, or a, a father that used to be abusive or something like that. When he was younger, he beat you with a belt and curse you and all this stuff. And then that same father becomes older and he's 75 and 80 years old. And he's on medication. And his back is hunched over. And now he's begging for his daughter to call him. Begging for his son to call him. And the son and the, the daughter remind him what you used to say to us. How you used to tell us you wish we were never born. How you used to beat us. And now he's in tears. He's broken. His arrogance is broken. Right? And he's apologizing now. He was never sorry then. When he had power, he couldn't see that he's wrong. He could only see that they need to be corrected. Like, like farm animals. They need to be domesticated. But when his power broke, his physical strength, his financial strength, his position, his status broke, now all of a sudden he's in the masjid every day. And he's crying and making dua. And he's asking for his children to forgive him. Because that, that, that power is gone. That influence he had is gone. I've seen this in real life. Some of you have seen this in real life. What Yusuf salam is doing is he's hoping that they don't continue down this path until it's too late and then realize they've done something wrong. Some people only want to change their ways when they're like very, very old and then they look back and say, well, I can't do much bad anymore. And had they been given youth again, they'd go back to their old ways again, right? He wants them to break that hypnosis so they can see the error in their ways. And he knows the only way they can do that is if they are humbled. And they, so he's going through a process by which he, he's chipping away at their pride. Little by little, putting them in powerless situations, little by little. And in that, we're learning something delicate. When you have power over someone, you don't have to crush them to teach them a lesson. And if, they have, if they've been in a position of power over you, and now you're in a position of power over them, that can happen. You don't have to put them in their place like, it's my turn now. No, you can, 
they, and they may still be holding on to their pride even though they're under you now. But there are ways that you can engage in correcting that behavior by humbling them little by little and not degrading them outright or crushing them outright. You understand? So there's a subtle approach that Yusuf is taking with his brothers. And that illustrates that even though they are the way they are, he still has love for them. He still cares about them because at the end of the day, he wants them to change their ways. Not that he wants them to be punished. He wanted them to be punished. This would have been over a long time ago. You didn't need all these episodes. But he wants them to change their ways. And he's kind of slowly reeling them towards a more humbled position. And what's going to happen amazingly is when they're truly humbled, that's when he's going to tell them, I'm your brother. And he's waiting for that moment. He's not going to tell them. He needs to see them crack a little bit more before he can open that up to them. So inshallah, we'll see that later on. But tomorrow again is ayah number 77. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikil hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa